This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. This week, we focus on the shocking development that preoccupied the media earlier this week, the career crash of a cabinet minister. And later, we hear how the fallout affected RNZ. But first, we look at how the downfall of Kitty Allen raised many issues for the media, but they seized on one in particular. It's all quiet on the, on the front at the moment at Parliament, but this is going to be a crazy week um, in politics. It's an extraordinary development, and it's only just the beginning of the sitting week, as I said. That was RNZ's Annika Smith outside Parliament just after 8 o'clock on RNZ's morning report last Monday. And it did indeed turn out to be an intense week in the political beltway after Cabinet Minister Kitty Allen's car crash the night before and her arrest, and then her resignation later on Monday morning. Now, other pundits and commentators were quick to claim that the effect of this news would be felt far beyond this past week in politics, though others weren't quite so sure, as we'll hear. But in the breakdown of how things unfolded that night, the Capitol's Daily The Post said that word of Alan's arrest had spread on Sunday night. And according to The Post, people flocked to an otherwise quiet Wellington Central Police Station. They said reporters saw someone who looked like Kitty Allen arrive at about 10.45, but... The Post said it was difficult to 100% confirm it was the minister in the back of the police car. Leaving open the possibility that confirmation could be less than 100% of certainty. Now probably that was just the result of reporting in haste and the lag in getting a response from the Prime Minister's office would have been frustrating. The Post said it had contacted the PM's Chief Press Secretary Andrew Campbell soon after the reports of the crash last Sunday and then asked for comment at around 11pm, but it wasn't till a quarter to seven on Monday morning that listeners heard this on Morning Report. Uh, Now, we have news just in this morning. The Justice Minister, Kitty Allen, was taken into police custody last night after a car crash in Wellington and is now assisting with inquiries. Now, that was followed by a statement from the PM's office after seven, rushed to air on TVNZ's breakfast show like this. That email has just come through, so I'm going to read it from my phone now. And from the Prime Minister's office, we've had it confirmed that last night, Kitty Allen was charged with reckless driving and resisting arrest. She also returned a breath test over the legal limit, but at a level considered an infringement offence. But police have not pressed charges in relation to that. And soon after that, on News Talk ZB, Mike Hosking broke the news to his listeners this way. And from our Who Would Want to Be Chris Hipkins file, Kerry Allen was taken into police custody last night after being involved in a car crash and the car struck a parked car. This is Evans Bay Parade in Roseneath in the capital. Prime Minister's office repeatedly refused to answer questions or confirm if Allen had been involved or was in police custody. They'll have to say something about that. And it does raise the question as to whether Kerry Allen should ever have been back at the office last week. And that was a question raised by many in the media later on, though if not in the same breath as actually breaking the news as Mike Hosking did there. And when the Prime Minister's statement came in soon after, Mike Hosking was banging the ZB breaking news bell. I have an update for you on Kerry Allen. This is News Talk ZB Breaking News. She's gone. Uh, shortly after 9pm last night, Kerry Allen was involved in a car crash on Evans Bay Parade Wellington. She's taken into custody. This is from the Prime Minister. 
While her alleged actions are inexcusable, I've been advised she was experiencing extreme emotional distress at the time of the incident. Her recent personal struggles with mental health have been well documented. It appears some of those issues came to a head yesterday. I've spoken with her first thing this morning and advised her I do not believe she's in a fit state to hold a ministerial warrant. I believe it's also untenable for a justice minister to be charged with criminal offending. And so did Kitty Allen herself in our own statement soon after, confirming her resignation. And that prompted the next host on ZB that morning at nine, Kerry Woodham, to make light of it. I won't suddenly disappear, resign, be dragged off. 0800 80 10 80 is the number to call. And now I've tempted fate. Probably have a cardiac infarction and be carried out on a stretcher. 0800 80 10 At this stage, it still wasn't entirely clear what had happened on Wellington's waterfront. And the charges were later said to be careless and not reckless driving and refusing to accompany officers at the scene rather than the much more serious resisting arrest. And after the Prime Minister's press conference in the afternoon, ZB's veteran political correspondent Barry Soper hinted that he wasn't sure that he was getting the truth. To a question over whether Kiri Allen attempted to walk away from the police last night, Hipkins was quite cagey. I'm, I'm kind of cautious. I, I went through a, you know, a bit of this this morning and I am aware that now we're moving into that phase where police will be you know, doing their investigations, they'll be making decisions about prosecutions and so on, and I don't want to get in the middle of that, so I don't want to continue to add to that. So I'll be dialling back my comments in that space because it is a, an active matter for the police. I certainly can't say for certain what happened last night. So she did try and walk away. And that wasn't the only conclusion Barry Soper was drawing from the Prime Minister's version of events when he spoke to his ZB colleague and partner, drive host Heather Duplessy-Allen, that same afternoon, where he hinted that confusion had been created deliberately. Uh, whether the police, uh, Hipkins says that that was what he was told by uh, Curry allen this morning. Well, if he was told it by Curry allen she's a lawyer she must have been told that's what she's being charged with. Well, it's been downgraded. Yeah, that's the police probably actually do have to answer questions about that. Perhaps she is not giving him all the information, the accurate oh, information he needs. I think he's probably got the information that she wants to impart to him. And all that prompted Heather Duplessy Allen on News Talk ZB to say this. Because this has just set a new low in terms of bad behaviour from a cabinet minister, hasn't it? I mean, as far as we can tell, there has never been a cabinet minister arrested by police before. But while Heather Duplessy-Allen said she felt sorry for the Prime Minister, being let down by a minister yet again, Barry Soper and Mike Hosking on ZB blamed Chris Hipkins for allowing Kitty Allen back to work and also Jacinda Ardern for leaving what they called time bombs behind her in Cabinet when she quit. Now also weighing in on where the buck should stop was Stuff's new chief political correspondent, Tova O'Brien, who told Stuff's daily podcast Newsable that the misfiring ministers were piling up. Anything that besets the the cabinet, his ministers, the party, it does land back on the feet of the prime minister. But the overwhelming sentiment that I've heard people express about the prime minister is actually pity. Mm. These are seen as things that are outside of his control. Even though people aren't necessarily blaming Chris Hipkins, he is the one who will be punished and the Labour Party will be punished. And the question now is how much of an impact will this have? And plenty, according to Tova O'Brien, the same day in print. Pity doesn't win elections, she wrote, and... The best Hipkins could hope for is that pity provides a pathway for him to retain power of the party. The headline on that article was, The Kitty Allen saga means the result of the election may have been sealed. And it was one of many that were rushed into print about what all this would mean for the election in October. 
On the TVNZ1 News site, an analysis piece by TVNZ's Felix Demarai put it as a question, did Labour just lose the election, in an article which included this. Some might say the wheels are falling off, but perhaps it's just a pop tyre and a few dents. But undeniably, nobody's getting far on three wheels. But how many wheels would have to have fallen off to leave three still on? The same day, newsroom's Joe Moyer had this take. Being charged with criminal offending while the Minister of Justice is not something that will ever be wiped from public memory. While her newsroom colleague Jonathan Milne said this. The charges against Allen may be a final nail for the Labour government. And for the Herald, Audrey Young wrote this. It will be miraculous if Hipkins can rescue his government from this quagmire. The Allen car crash may prove to be the tipping point for Labour's own electoral crash. And words to that effect also made up the headline on the front page of the Otago Daily Times on Tuesday. Now while he was digesting the developments and broadcasting them as they were still happening on the Monday, RNZ's Deputy Political Editor Craig McCulloch said this on Morning Report. Yes, still early days, not entirely clear where the story will go, but you do not need to be a political analyst to know this isn't good news for Labour, yet another concerning headline regarding a minister. Indeed, but RNZ had political analysts on the phone within an hour, among them the media-friendly Dr Bryce Edwards, who said this. The odds of Labour being re-elected have just you know, plummeted really today, and I think we may look back at this being the turning point where a lot of swing voters who were considering voting Labour will now go, nah, it's a shambles. And also on board for that turning point, former MP turned pundit Tohenare. Look, Look, a week ago I was still under the belief that it would be very, very close. In fact, I was calling a hung parliament. This week, um, I don't think so. And in the very next bulletin, those pundits reading the minds of voters next October led RNZ's news like this. Bryce Edwards says there will be questions for the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins. For a government that's fighting on law and order to have their justice minister, yet another one go, just going to be symbolic, I think, for a lot of voters. Māori political commentator Tho Henare says the move would have been for the greater good of the election. Meanwhile, over on ZB, Mike Hosking had made up his mind too. Are you more or slightly more reassured by my prediction that this is going to be little short of a landslide come October 14? And ZB's drive host Heather Duplessy-Allen was in full agreement even before Kitty Allen's car crash, judging by these trailers running that same day. I think National and Act is going to win this election. And I also think it's not going to be close. I'm not saying it's going to be a landslide like the 2020 COVID election, but I think that they will have a clear victory on the night. You are not going to walk away from election night wondering who could possibly stitch a coalition. It's going to be a clear victory for the right. And according to ZB's Barry Soper that same day, the crash also made it a foregone conclusion. Can Labour come back from this? Uh, No, they can't. I think um, really it's done and dusted for Labour now. So many political pundits with suddenly formed opinions about how millions of citizens will vote in three months' time. But just minutes later, RNZ's deputy political editor Craig McCulloch was back on air on Checkpoint saying this. Despite all of Labour's problems, there has not been that breakaway for the centre-right. So no one can tell you yet whether this might be a turning point, whether this could be that breakaway moment. Um, It's not all over over for Labour yet. It is really all over in an MMP election. Uh, So nobody should be counting their chickens just yet. But as we've heard, one of the media's first responses was to invite pundits to give a full inventory of poultry. 
And while what pundit Josie Pagani called a conga line of cabinet ministers falling down lately has been not a good look, on the Herald's front page podcast on Tuesday, the Herald's deputy political editor Thomas Coughlin said, in fact, all this may make no difference at all at election time. Labour's polling doesn't appear to have a direct relationship to these ministerial kind of issues. People are clearly a bit disaffected with the Labour government. And we can see that because most polls right track, wrong track metric shows that vast numbers of New Zealand think the country is on the wrong track. Those voters are not swinging towards national, potentially, because they do not like what national has got on offer. And that does suggest that there's a certain amount of frustrated forgiveness of the Labour Party among the electorate. And I think it's something that National and Christopher Larkson will be asking it themselves. So whether that frustrated forgiveness trumps a cabinet in chaos with voters in three months' time or not, other more pressing issues didn't get as much scrutiny. For example, did David Parker's refusal to re-up on the revenue portfolio point to a more significant rift within Labour? And what about those in Tairawhiti and Hawke's Bay who were suddenly stripped of all local ministers who were supposed to be guiding the recovery from Cyclone Gabriel for the government? But 24 hours after breaking the news of Kitty Allen's car crash and kicking off all that pre-election guesswork, Morning Report then began with another pundit being asked the same question all over again. This uh, is being described as a a turning point for the election by some people. Is that what you think as well? Oh, so we have to wait and see. But yes, very, very likely with the benefit of hindsight later, we may very well say that it was. Now, as a side issue, pressure on senior politicians and attitudes to mental health in high-pressure political roles was also raised. Hayden Donnell took a look at that in this week's Midweek Media Watch last Wednesday night here on RNZ National. And they also talked about pushback from the media against complaints of breathless and overly intense coverage of that grim Lauren Dickerson trial in Christchurch. If you missed it, Midweek Media Watch is available on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website, our section of the RNZ app, or you'll find it for free wherever you get your podcasts. This week, an episode of RNZ's daily podcast, The Detail, also looked at media coverage of that trial and some of the criticism of the media for dwelling on the details. And among those explaining the media's approach to this was RNZ's head of news, Richard Sutherland, who's also the chair of the outfit that represents the mutual interests of our news media, the Media Freedom Committee. What goes on in the courtroom needs to be as accessible as possible to as wide an audience as possible, because that's what part of being a a secular liberal democracy is. What do you mean by media plurality? Well, just that there's many different media voices, and if we all were in lockstep reporting the same things in the same way, that would get very boring very quickly. Mm. Uh, I think it's always good to have a vibrant media ecosystem where some people are doing some things over here that get a lot of people upset, and other people are doing safer things over here that more members of the audience may be comfortable with. And as it turns out, that's the last time Richard will have to comment on editorial matters on behalf of the Media Freedom Committee, or RNZ. After four years as the head of news here, and more than 25 years in which he's worked at almost every national news broadcaster in this country, Richard left RNZ and the news business altogether this week. But before he went, he spoke to me about the state of play in news today, and the story that dominated this week's news, the downfall of Kitty Allen. In the news media business, you are always on when you get to a certain um, position on the editorial ladder. 
you never know what's going to happen next. I mean, on Sunday night, I was fielding calls about the Justice Minister being involved in a car crash on on the Wellington waterfront. And so you spend several hours of your Sunday night trying to chase that story down and, and, and get that um, ready to go. Uh, you know, it is quite a relentless job. You are always on. But a story like that, the huge volume of coverage of something like that, breaking on a Sunday, going on for, for days, still going on this week, uh, is that a symptom of how modern media works, that the level of commentary is enormous when there's something that really takes off, particularly political stuff that's yeah, still well covered? I think, I think the thing that's changed most over the last sort of 20 to 30 years is the amount of commentary, opinion, analysis that gets thrown at any story these days. Uh, you know, back in the 90s, it would be a straight news story and there might be a sternly worded editorial in the Dominion Post uh, about ministerial um, hijinks and that would be it. But these days, there seems to be a lot more appetite from the audience to consume the commentary and the opinion piece and the analysis piece. Um, there are a lot more content providers, terrible term, uh, mm-hmm. but, but uh, there are a lot more people pumping out a lot more stuff. That was RNZ's Head of News, Richard Sutherland, also the Deputy Chair of the outfit that represents the mutual interests of our news media, the Media Freedom Committee. And Richard has just left RNZ and the news business altogether this week. So next week here on Media Watch, we'll hear what he had to say about other aspects of the news business today and its future. Well, as it turned out this week, Kerry Allen's resignation as a cabinet minister wasn't the only one triggered by that fateful car crash last weekend. The fallout was also felt at RNZ. Yeah, this is newly appointed Radio New Zealand board member. His name is Jason Arkep, and he's been pretty outspoken in the past. But when you're on the Radio New Zealand board, you've got to be impartial and you have to be independent. But he's had a few issues regarding the coverage of what's happened to Kitty Allen, particularly the commentary and the politicisation of the saga. And he's been, um, there's some of his comments have been targeted at Chris Hipkins because Chris Hipkins allowed Kitty Allen back to work uh, and he didn't like that he allowed her back to work uh, so soon. That was News Hub's Lloyd Burr on News Hub at 6 last Tuesday. Now at that point, former journalist Jason Ake was still on the board of RNZ, having been appointed to it less than four weeks ago. And when prompted by reporters, the Prime Minister Chris Hipkins said it wasn't appropriate for a board member of a Crown entity to comment publicly on political matters, as Jason Ake had done last Monday on social media. But what was it that could have compromised him as a board member or RNZ itself? Well, with reference to the downfall of Cabinet Minister Kerry Allen, Jason Arke wrote this. When there's blood in the water, the sharks circle, and they're more than happy to digest every last morsel and watch the bones sink to the depths. It's a blood sport. And Jason Arke also referenced the experience of the former National Party leader Todd Muller, who recovered from a mental breakdown to resume his work as an MP eventually. But as Jason Arke pointed out, that takes time. But the broadcasting minister who appointed Jason Ake to RNZ's board, Willie Jackson, was also not thrilled to read those comments, and he told reporters this in Parliament. He's always been quite uh, vocal about issues, and uh, he's going to have to stop that. Did you keep that in mind? Did you keep that in mind when you appointed him to that role? Because he's always been known as someone who gives his opinion freely yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, no, well, you know, I thought I'd got a common sense would have taken place, and then he would have... Uh, pull back. He will pull back though because, the, as I said, the chair's been in touch uh, and uh, he's going to have to if he wants to, to stay a board member there. 
the other side of it, he wasn't exactly supportive of us, so uh, that's the other side of it, isn't it? You know, Thomas saying, um, you know, uh, when I looked at the, at the post, but it's still inappropriate, as the Prime Minister said, uh, and he's going to have to stop. Now, as Willie Jackson said there, RNZ's chair, Dr Jim Mather, had been in touch to remind Jason Ake of his responsibilities under the Public Service Commission's Code of Conduct for Crown Entity Board Members, which says this. When acting in our private capacity, we avoid any political activity that could jeopardise our ability to perform our role or which could erode the public's trust in the entity. Now on the face of it, much of Jason Ake's Facebook post could be construed as a reflection on the media as much as on politics or politicians, and his comments were not explicitly or aggressively politically partisan. But there is heightened sensitivity about this these days because of the Tafatu Order Chair Rob Campbell publicly criticising opposition parties' health policy recently, which led to his sacking. Now, in a statement earlier this week, RNZ's chair, Dr Jim Mather, acknowledged that Jason Ake was new to the board of RNZ, which is true, but he's also a former journalist and a communications professional who's currently Waikato Tainui's communications manager. And Jason Ake has experience in handling public projects and contracts, and along with his wife, Deborah Jensen, who is also a Māori communications consultant, they're both directors of a consultancy called Native Voice. Now, RNZ said earlier this week that no further comment would be made until Dr Mather and Jason Ake had had the opportunity to discuss the matter further. But Jason Ake didn't wait for that to put out more of his own words on the matter, as News Hub's Lloyd Boer also reported last Tuesday. This afternoon he went on Facebook again and he's made some more comments. The latest one saying that mental health is a topic that needed to be talked about, particularly because it affects Māori so much. Now, Broadcasting Minister Willie Jackson, uh, he's told News Hub he's going to speak with the chairperson of Radio New Zealand and he's pleading with Jason Ake. Well, evidently those pleas fell on deaf ears. And he also referred to an ideological premise that we as Māori must conform. And while he thanked some journalists for getting the key message about Kerry Allen, he repeated his criticisms of the media. Mental health and well-being is the silent killer, he said, and a swathe of Māori journos got it immediately. And Jason Ake even put numbers on it. 21 Māori journos got it, he said, more than the entire complement of our two major media entities in Aotearoa, who between them have more than 700 reporters on the staff. And all this seemed to amuse Mike Hosking of News Talk ZB when he was catching up the next morning. Who's on, on the board of Radio New Zealand? I'd never heard of him, so I looked him up yesterday. He's out of Radio Wātia. So immediately, the moment you see that, you go, right, there's Willie's friend. So Willie puts his mate on the board, and then Jason has a bit of a spew about Kerry Allen, and the Prime Minister says, that's not acceptable, and Willie says, that's not acceptable. So Jason, instead of going, oh, whoops, I should have read the rules around impartiality and behave myself, then goes and spews a bit more. So they're going to have a, going to have to have a word with old Jason. That's what happens when you give your mates jobs. Jason Ake and Willie Jackson were colleagues in the past, and Willie Jackson also appointed Jason Ake to the group to make the strategy for the future of Māori media back in 2020. But Jason Ake doesn't seem to have been the minister's mate this past week. Jason Ake told the New Zealand Herald he quit the RNZ board on principle because he would have been unable to stay quiet about broadcasting decisions which impacted Māori. In response, RNZ's chair Dr Jim Mather said he was disappointed and that this was a missed opportunity. But he added, Crown Entity Governments has its own tikanga and protocols that need to be observed. 
and that was reinforced by the Deputy Prime Minister Kamel Sepuloni, who told TVNZ's Tikarere this on Wednesday. It's really important that they are seen to be impartial and they're not getting involved in the politics in any way. They've got really important roles to play and so the public need to have faith in uh, them being impartial. Meanwhile, the Fano Ora Minister Pini Hinare told Takarare, we all know Crown Entity board members must represent all of Aotearoa. And Foreign Minister Nanaya Mahuta, formerly the Minister of Māori Development with responsibility for Māori Broadcasting, said Jason Ake was now free to speak his mind. And after that, Rob Campbell, who quit Tafatu Ora because he'd spoken out politically himself, wrote a piece for the Herald the same day, applauding Jason Ake for, in his words, having the guts to speak his truth, in which Rob Campbell also argued they should not remove people or put pressure on people to resign while in a position because their public views are not mutually shared or are inconvenient. Nor should they be censored or silenced. They can appoint new directors when their term is served. Though that really isn't ideal either for good governance, as Heather Duplessy Allen pointed out on her News Talk ZB show on Wednesday. But but if you are prepared to have the board members speaking out and giving us their political views, then what is going to happen is that when the when there is a change of government, you're going to have the next lot coming in going, OK, here's the list. Rob Rob's obviously a Labour lovey, gone. Uh, mm. Jason's obviously a Labour lovey, gone. And you start having a clearing out of all of these board members every single time you have a change in government. Do we want that? Do we want to have people who are seen to be aligned with certain political parties? Or do we want, even if it's a figment of our imagination, the sense that they are neutral? In a comment piece for The Herald explaining his own decision in his own words this week, Jason Ake said that he also represents Te Whakaruruho, or Nareo Irirangi o Aotearoa, the umbrella group representing more than 20 iwi radio stations around the country. And he claimed that this obliged him to be politically noisy. And this would have placed me on a collision course with the political neutrality expectations as set out in the Crown Entities Guidelines. But it wouldn't if he refrained from criticising political decisions or individual politicians or discussing RNZ's business out loud in public. In fact, comments that Jason Ake has made on broadcasting matters before he briefly joined RNZ's board have broadly mirrored Willie Jackson's own aspirations for state-owned media, and specifically RNZ. And presumably, that's one of the reasons he appointed Jason Ake in the first place. For example, even after the government's plan for a new public media entity was scrapped in February, Willie Jackson has pushed for more Māori programming and content on state-owned broadcasters in primetime. And at the same time, Jason Ake was telling Radio Wātea the same thing. Where is the um, allowance for decent Māori stories, because we've got an, an opinion and a view on a whole range of things, and that's not reflected in the uh, television uh, high-rating programs um, that are put out there. It shouldn't be ghetto-wise um, into digital online platforms only. And that's the point. The point is you've got the parent... Um, organisation that receives the bulk of the funding um, carrying on doing what it's doing. In the meantime, government welfare or government money um, has been sought to provide a much more accurate picture 
of our narratives, our people, our stories. And in another interview, Jason Acker had firm views on what the RNZ and TVNZ merger could have achieved for Māori content creators. The uh, human capability and capacity out there is really, really limited. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't make uh, decent sense for the Māori sector to fight with itself in order to bring uh, to the market, you know, uh, good, competent uh, Māori content makers, journalists, uh, producers. And so that's where I look. I think that's where the uh, TVNZ Radio New Zealand uh, merger ought to have looked for what a, um, a decent template um, would look like. And while the just-concluded three-year Public Interest Journalism Fund copped flack for incorporating treaty-based principles and prioritising Māori journalism content and topics, Jason Ake had concerns about the commercial media getting that money, and he aired those on Radio Waitea in late 2021. Well, not only that, but why would you um, put yourself in front of uh, an environment that is diabolically opposed or structured in a way that doesn't recognise the value uh, that Māori uh, bring to the discussion. The internal culture at some of these organisations is so ingrained uh, that it has become, well, it's become part, if you like, uh, of the carpets, not just the carpets, but the, uh, the curtains and everything else. So there needs to be systemic change inside these commercial organisations. They need to decide whether they're there to make a commercial buck or whether they're there to adequately tell our stories uh, from our perspectives and not only that but grow a bevy of reporters who understand that bevy of uh, that um, value proposition. Now in addition to the Public Interest Journalism Fund funding, Māori Broadcasting Content funding was boosted by $82 million over the past two years, all part of the Māori Media Sector Shift Review which Willie Jackson appointed Jason Ake to oversee. So having said in the Herald this week that Crown boards and entities must be more diverse, why has Jason Ake rejected a governance role at RNZ, which has its own Rotaki Māori strategy for the years ahead, which the Minister, Willie Jackson, has called for in the past and now supports? Well, this week we wanted to ask Jason Ake about all this, but he hasn't responded so far to our calls and messages. In the meantime, it remains to be seen who will be appointed to that vacant role on RNZ's board now. Well, that's all we have for you on the media this weekend, but we'll be back with more on the media after the 10pm news next Wednesday with Midweek Media Watch during nights, and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.